Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and you're listening to Bay Curious. There are always several cargo ships docked out in the San Francisco Bay. To me, they're a daily reminder that shipping is, and always has been, a part of our economy. Today's ships are full of things like produce and wine. But back in the day, San Francisco held a special place in the West Coast lumber trade. Our outgoing ships were full of wood. Giant Douglas fir trees felled in Northern California, Oregon, and Washington were milled into spars, brought to San Francisco, and shipped off to places like China and Australia. We even built custom-made schooners just for this task. One of those wood-carrying vessels from yesteryear found its final resting place near Martinez, and folks have been wondering about it. Um, My name's Cameron. I live in Vallejo. I asked, um, what's the deal with the shipwreck of the Radke Martinez Regional Park? The ship Cameron's asking about was once known as the Forester, a 184-foot-long schooner beloved by its eccentric captain. Today on the show, we're presenting you a history of the Forester in four parts. First, we'll visit the wreck to see what's left. Then we'll investigate its unique place in maritime history. We'll learn what life on board might have been like. And finally, we'll learn how the Forester ended up in Martinez. Stay with us. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. The question of what happened to the Forester, a schooner grounded in a Martinez, won a voting round on our website. Bay Curious producer Katrina Schwartz drove out to the park at low tide to see it for herself. 
Low tide is early in the morning on the day I venture out to find the forester. Our question asker, Cameron Toby, is with me as we meet up with Virginia Delgado Martinez, a naturalist with the East Bay Regional Park District. So you're, you asked about the forester? Yeah. Nice. What got you interested? Um, I saw a Facebook post from the Martinez <laughs> Historical Society about it. It was while it was at low tide, or you could actually, like, see the whole ship because the tide was low enough that it was sticking up out of the mud. The Martinez shoreline is a tidal marsh. Water levels rise and fall with the tides. You're standing on salt grass. And if you look carefully, you might see the crystals of salt growing on it. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful walk out through the grasslands to where the Carquinas Strait meets the shore. All right, folks, here we are. Wow. We are at the schooner forester and it yeah it is really low tide if you don't mind getting muddy you can even walk out there <laughs> i did wear my good boots what's left of the schooner looks a little bit like a broken down pier it's clearly man-made but from shore it's hard to tell it was once a boat of course i want a closer look if i remember there's like a trail of bricks that you can follow right up to it very squishy I'll follow you. This <laughs> might get really deep. Ah, gross. I don't know about this. <laughs> it's totally going to get all inside my shoes. The mud was too deep. I didn't make it out to the forester. Now, this schooner only had one captain for her whole life, Otto Derevich, an immigrant from Czechoslovakia. The old salt had a reputation for fresh food on board his ship. Short and stocky, his love for the sea was only eclipsed by his love for the forester, his only home for over 40 years. Virginia tells us a bit more about the history of this spot in Martinez, where the captain chose to ground his darling. This is the original homelands of the um, native people who are here, uh, specifically the Carquine Ohlone, which lived on the Carquine uh, Strait, which is why we got the name Carquines. The temperate climate, as well as an abundance of fish and other wildlife, made this the perfect home for the Karkin Ohlone, who lived here for thousands of years. That bounty also made this a tempting jewel to the Europeans, who flooded into the area during and after the gold rush in the 1800s. Soon, industries like wheat farming, mining, and winemaking flourished in the area. Right now, it's kind of a sleepy park, very relaxing. But back in the day, this was a huge um, place for fishermen. And a lot of Italian immigrants actually came here and built their town. And there would have been um, work. There would have been stores, markets, a lot of trading going on. Definitely, it was a community. So it's not completely random that the forester ended up in the Martinez mud. But what kind of life did it have before that? The skeletal remains of the schooner make it hard to imagine the real thing. So I called up the National Maritime Museum in San Francisco to find out more about what the forester would have looked like in its prime. Turns out the C.A. Thayer, docked at the Maritime Museum, is a similar West Coast schooner built to carry lumber. So I headed down to the floating museum to learn more about the second part of this tale, what makes the Forester unique? And how does it fit into the larger historical context? 
Okay, we've got to get some lingo out of the way here. The Thayer and the Forester are not ships in Mariner lingo. They are schooners. That's because their sails run from front to back instead of side to side, like you might have seen in drawings of the Mayflower. The Forester had four masts and was bigger than the Thayer, which only has three. Park ranger Christopher Edwards points them out to me as we stand on deck. So up near the front of the vessel, we've got the uh, foremast right here in the middle, the main mast, and all the way at the back, we have the mizzen mast. The masts tower into the sky. Attached to each of them are bunched up sails that can be unfurled, hauled up, and set. And the easiest way to understand these is to think of them as vertical shower curtain rings. Right, so the sails attach to these hoops, and as they set the sail, what you would do is you're going to haul, you wouldn't say pull, sailors would say haul, uh, the gaff up the mast, and as the sail goes up with it, it gradually pulls up the rings as well. West Coast lumber schooners like the Thayer and the Forester were designed to sail up and down the coast hauling lumber. Echo right now, yeah, empty hold. Yeah, we're in the cargo hold here. Um, I often describe this as a cave of wood. This massive hold would have been piled high with lumber. To get 80-foot-long Douglas fir trees into the hold, lumber schooners had special round holes in the front and back. Yeah, lumber ports were, were vital to get, be able to slide these long lengths of timber directly down below deck. This tour of the fair has helped me imagine what the Forester would have looked like when she sailed. But the two vessels were different, too. The Forester was built in 1900 by Hay and Wright, uh, which was over in Alameda. Uh, first of all, that kind of stands out. Most ships on the West Coast were built near the lumber locations. So shipyards turning out vessels here in the Bay Area directly, that was usually times of, of, of a boom in shipbuilding industry. And why might the shipbuilding industry be booming at the turn of the century? Well, the U.S. had just driven the Spanish out of the Philippines and colonized the islands. That conquest opened new markets to American businesses. So imperialism makes its way into all these other industries, including shipbuilding. These vessels hauled lumber from the West Coast, where it was being harvested, across the Pacific to places like the Philippines, New Zealand, Australia, and Hawaii. On the return trip, the forester carried copper, coal, and copra, a kind of dried coconut meat that could be processed into coconut oil. Now we are ready to head for the Horn away. Hey, roll and go. Our boots and our clothes, boys, are all in the pawn to me. Rollicking randy dandy oh. We've come to the third chapter in our story what it was like to sail on the Forester in the early 20th century. Captain Otto Derevich was the Forester's first and only captain. He owned a third of the vessel and sailed the schooner on international trips for decades. It's pretty evident that he was really, really attached to that vessel. The Forester's crew was largely Scandinavian, but not entirely. Sailors from a variety of backgrounds sailed on the Forester at different times. The early 1900s were a racist and xenophobic time in the United States, so I wondered if sailors from non-European backgrounds would have been treated differently on board. To find out, I placed a call to England. My name is Rudolf Ng. I'm now teaching global history, in fact, um, at the University of Portsmouth, which um, has uh, uh, for a long time been a port town 
very important for the British uh, naval establishment. From old ship logs, he can tell the Forester's crew was multinational and almost always had at least one Chinese or Japanese crew member, usually the cook. Apparently, cooking job at the time wasn't much desired by Caucasian crew members on board, and they were paid less um, and probably more physically demanding. Um, so they were always left to, to either the Japanese or the Chinese. Ng couldn't tell any specifics about how Asian sailors were treated on the Forester. But more broadly, he says Asian sailors faced discrimination all over the world. It was especially bad in California after the Chinese Exclusion Act passed in 1882. That law prohibited Chinese people from immigrating to the U.S. The Chinese were allowed to go on shore leave in San Francisco or in, in anywhere in California for 30 days, but they have to pay a bond. They had to put up $500 as collateral for the right to leave the ship. If they didn't come back within 30 days, they forfeited that money. Given this context, it's likely the Chinese or Japanese cooks who sailed on the Forester also faced discriminatory treatment. The only first-person account of life on board the Forester I could find is from a Puerto Rican sailor named Oscar Gonzalez. He joined the crew in New Zealand and describes the captain as fair, the food good, and the wages better than average for the time. Captain Dayervich was short and stout. He was the best captain in those days that I ever sailed with. The food was very good for those days. We used to get fresh pork twice a week and eggs every other day. That was because we had about five dozen chickens on board. There was no trouble with the cargo on the voyage, just the bugs. The copra bugs used to bother us during the night. They crawl all over and they bite. U.S. imperialism in the Philippines may have created the economic conditions to build this schooner, but world events also made it obsolete. Which brings us to the last chapter in our story, the end of the Forester's sailing days. Back on the deck of the Thayer, Christopher Edwards explains that during World War I, the U.S. ramped up shipbuilding. When the war ended, there was a glut of new steam-powered vessels. They were faster and could carry more cargo. You had brand new, highly efficient steamships that were available for a really cheap price. So the remaining sailing ships uh, that were out there really couldn't compete with that. By the mid-1920s, the Forester was out of a job. Captain Derevich bought out his partners for $8,000 and continued to live on the Forester. He anchored her in the Carquinez Strait for several years, protecting one of the piers of the Carquinez Bridge from swift tides while it was being built. He probably got paid for assisting uh, with the Carquinez Bridge. After that, Derevich moored in the Oakland Estuary for a few years until they asked him to leave. He and his schooner were getting in the way of shipping. Then he towed the Forester over to Martinez and beached her. So today, yeah, I think we could describe it as a wreck, but at the time it was deliberately grounded there. And that's where the Forester lived out the rest of its days. Captain Derevich stayed true to the Forester for the rest of his life. In 1947, a writer for the San Francisco Chronicle named Robert O'Brien noticed the lonely beach schooner while on the Benicia Ferry. Curious, he went out to the Forester and knocked. Captain Derevich welcomed O'Brien inside, out of the wind and gathering clouds, remarking on his lonely perch by saying, One thing 
I'm not bothered by noisy neighbors. They sit and visit in a tiny skylighted cabin, evidence of the captain's life all around them. A newspaper, a deck of cards, an ashtray, and a small painting of the forester under full sail, clearly done by an amateur. What will happen to the forester? I don't know. She probably will be burned up someday, like the rest of her kind. I'm the only friend she's got left. Derevich died on the Forester at the age of 83, and he was right. There was a fire on board in the 1970s, which left the Forester in the condition we see today. A well-traveled, once-loved schooner is now a mere skeleton in the mud. That was producer Katrina Schwartz. Special thanks to Alex Gonzalez, who was the voice of Oscar Gonzalez, Gerald Lerniker, the voice of Otto de Ervich, and Paul Encor, the voice of Robert O'Brien. And thanks to Cameron for asking the question about the Forester. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our team includes Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Sebastian Mignobicelli, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Have a good one. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.